Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we get you ready for the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Five Manitoba teams in the field. We'll tee it up for you with Jason Bell of the Winnipeg Free Press. And a solemn day as February 18th, 2001 was the date that Dale Earnhardt passed away after a crash at the Daytona 500. We'll talk to Blair Bodley of the Red River Speedway about how far safety has come on the track since then. That's all on the podcast. In exactly 24 hours, the first rocks will be thrown at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts in a Calgary bubble. Jason Bell is a sports writer with the Winnipeg Free Press, covers curling for the paper, and joins us now. Jason, I know in normal times uh, you might be going to this event, but you, we're in a in a different time where, just like in the hockey world, we're going to be doing everything on Zoom. But are you still excited for the curling? Yeah, it's not the same. I mean, there's it's a lot of fun. In, you and I had, I think, the privilege of being at the the, the Briar and Brandon together, and uh, we we had a bit of fun uh, on the bench and uh, in uh, other various venues, if you recall. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, and and going to a Scotty and and go, Scotty's and going to a Briar is just a tremendous amount of fun, a, a tremendous amount of work, and it really is. People probably don't won't believe me when I say that, but if you're if you're watching curling three draws and filing throughout the day and following at the end of the day. It's a long, those are long days, and can you even imagine with five Manitoba teams in the Scotties just how busy it would be if you were in the building. It's still going to be busy covering it here. We're going to, I'm going to try and watch a lot on TV and through some special links we're hoping Curling Canada will, will provide us. And, uh, but five teams, wow. Yeah, it's, it's quite something. It's, it's a really remarkable situation to have uh, that many teams in an 18-team field, and uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be fun to watch and for a lot of different reasons. I've been watching curling for a long time, and the Briar was the first big event that I, I got to cover. And I just remember by the weekend, my I was almost dead. My brain was fried from so much curling because you're just there's it's a sensory overload for most of the thing. Not that anybody should be you know pouring one out for us getting paid to to cover curling, but from a from a keeping track of things standpoint, Jason, normally right there's the TV game, but then there's the three other ones that if you're in the arena, you can pay attention to, but since TV's now our only avenue, are those other three games going to kind of be forgotten about, or are there going to be special ways to keep track of those? We just don't know that yet. Um, you know, you've probably dealt with El Cameron like I have, and and unarguably, uh, in my long 30-some-year career, he is absolutely the best media relations guy there is. That's because he used to do our job, so he understands it inside and out, and he, they're trying their darndest to see if they can get us some feeds for some of the other sheets and and we're you know the time is growing short that we haven't heard yet so that may be it may be not happening so we'll have to just focus on on the tv game and hope the tsn gives us the the highlight to the big shots and zero is in live on some big shots and we'll be watching the line scores and we'll be talking with winning skips and winning thirds or or people on the front end after each draw so that's kind of it mean it's different there's no question it's different we're not going to be able to give it the same kind of in-depth coverage and you're not going to get that those scrums where you can hang around after and talk to curlers, talk to officials, talk to Greg Owasco, the ice maker, like we do uh, every day, all day long for nine or ten days. So we make the best of it, but uh, there should be a lot a lot of information for for your listeners and for my readers of the Winnipeg Free Press because, as I said, you've got Team Canada going back, uh, Carrie Anderson's great group from Gimli, and then Jen Jones, of course, is going back for her 16th Scotties, which is just a, really hard to fathom. And and then her great team that will represent Manitoba. And then you've got the three wildcard teams, which what does that say about Manitoba curling, Christian, when, when the, the top 
three teams in the CTRS standings that don't already have spots are going. And of course, that's Tracy Fleur, uh, Tracy Fleury's team with Chelsea Carey skipping, and you got that great junior team, Mackenzie Zacharias, who graduated now after winning a World Junior title and are, are going as World Wild Card two and. And then Beth Peterson's team, which we don't know a lot about, but had some great success locally and and uh, through a, a few bond spills uh, around the country, they get the third wild card te- uh, spot. So wow, just so much to watch. And then of course, there's just so many teams from across the country that are going to be pushing as well. Absolutely, and, and part of the reason we have to say that Zacharias and Peterson get to go is because teams that would have been above them, Laura Walker and uh, Robin Silvernagel, did not have three or four players returning from last year's team. They made those moves not knowing there'd be a pandemic coming and that there would be no provincials, so they were not eligible to to get in. So Zacharias and Peterson are the beneficiaries. And so much has been made of the curling format over the years at these national events. They keep expanding it now bigger than ever with 18 teams. We haven't seen a rock thrown yet, Jason, but do you think there's an appetite for a field this big going forward permanently, or do you think... We're going to go back to the one wild card system next year. It's always changing, isn't it? And I'm I'm still uh, I'm old school. I like the cross Canada representation uh, for this event. I think there's enough uh, pro uh, tournaments out there as far as the Grand Slams and some of the other uh, uh, big money events where you you sort of get that cream of the crop and they play off as professionals. I, I believe that this is just me, and I get trashed every time I Brent bring it up. But I think the Briar and the Scotties is is great for that cross Canada representation and it really means something to wear that team Canada crest when you've when you've beaten the best across your country but I do like an even schedule where they have added the uh, the wild card teams I don't I think this is this is a bit of a, a misnomer this year where they're, they're they are going to 18 maybe for a one off just because uh, as you suggested some really great teams like you know, like like Tracy Flurry didn't get in the, the traditional way, and and a, and a and a Kevin Cooley in the Briar side, and a Mike McEwen. I mean, can you imagine if they hadn't gotten in, and and uh, you know, it really would have looked uh, the field would have looked pretty skewed. So I think it's a bit of a one-off. They'll go back to the original format, but I I, I do like the sort of two pools. The, p- the players aren't all all crazy about it because they like they don't get to play everybody. You don't even see some teams on the other side until maybe you reach them in the final. So. Uh, but as I say, I'm a bit old school. I like the fact that uh, it's 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 representation from coast to coast. I'm with you on that, Jason. I love the fact that you get to to watch PEI. You get to watch, you know, Newfoundland Labrador with Brad Gushu. You know, you get to see Northern Ontario. Uh, now we got the territories all split into three. And yes, Nunavut is going to lose almost all their games. And I understand the argument of you're trying to find the best team. But I think now that you've got the wild card spot in there, you more or less are going to send one of the best teams in the world to the Worlds every single year. And I'm with you on the fact that it feels so Canadian to see all the different provincial emblems. And we should mention Dynasty Curling has done such a great job with the uniforms to really spruce those up and add more provincial flair. But I'm with you on that. Uh, So it's not just you. So we'll... uh, I'll just let you share share in that. But looking at the prospects of the five Manitoba teams in the tournament, obviously we remember that four from each pool will go into the championship pool. How many of the five Manitoba teams do you think will get into that championship pool? 
Well, I had Bell's picks in the free press. I think, believe it was yesterday or today. And uh, I'm, I'm not right very often, certainly not in my house and anywhere else for that matter. And uh, But in Pool A, I, I, I certainly like Kerry Anderson's chances of, of, of getting in into the championship round, which, again, as you suggested, we start with nine in each pool, and they, they break it down to four in each pool. And, of course, once they do that, they're down to eight, and each of those teams then takes their record with them and crosses over and plays the four team in the other pool. So I think the I think that Kerry Anderson and I believe that uh, Mackenzie uh, Zacharias will also be in, in that top four in the pool. And I'm also suggesting that Rachel Holman of Ontario and Laura Walker of Alberta will be in. And then from Pool B, I really like Tracy Fleury's team uh, with Chelsea uh, Carey skipping. Of course, Tracy's not there. She's going to stay home with a with a with a child uh, with her her infant daughter. Um, I certainly like uh, Jen Jones, Manitoba. I, I certainly like um, and 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 I think those, I think there's four or five that are going to get in. And, and you know, and that's not to discredit the Beth Peterson team because they could certainly uh, sneak in there too in that Pool A. But uh, I'm picking Zacharias over Peterson to get that fourth spot in Pool A. And then in the other one, in Pool B, I really like uh, Suzanne Burt out of uh, out of PEI. I mean, Suzanne is just a great, great shot maker, and she's been there before. So, um, and then and then you know, I, I I'm picking Kerry Anderson to repeat um, because I just think they are the the class of this group. Um, Holman should be right there too, although she's very, very pregnant right now, and. They're taking Danielle Inglis as their fifth, who you know very well, and we know she works for Curl Canada and uh, and is a, just a tremendous curler in her own right. So, um, so yeah, it'll be very interesting. And I think Jen Jones is going to be there on the weekend too. So uh, maybe a couple of Manitoba teams uh, right down to the wire. I misspoke earlier. Kelsey Rock was the team from Alberta Kelsey that Rock was, was uh, the team that didn't get in. That's exactly yeah. right. And and yeah. and you know, Carol, Kelsey and. And and Silvernagle and even uh, to a certain extent Chelsea uh, Chelsea Carey they yeah. their teams their teams kind of you know disbanded a bit in some format or another over the course of the last season and there is an argument to be made that should they have been in regardless or should those points have carried with just the two remaining players but for this time at least uh, Curl Canada Curling Canada made a decision to that you needed at least 50% of that team remaining so they uh, they were unfortunately uh, left out. Safe to say, I think Pool A, it seems to be often that one pool is a little bit stronger than the other. Pool A is definitely, I think, the stronger pool in, in this one, but then that evens itself out because when they cross over, someone that comes out of Pool B with a good record ends up losing all their games in the crossover. But another thing, Jason, this year we should remind people of is that the page playoff system is not happening this year because they added two teams into the draw, the two other wildcard teams, that means there's just not enough time to do the page playoff, so it's back to the old way of just having the semifinal and final. What do you think of that? Well, it just it just again, it was another necessity out of what COVID has done with this draw. I mean, and 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 stretching out to ten days already. I mean, if they if they go page playoffs and then create an, even a, a tiebreaker situation for that, I mean, that means we would have started playing today. And uh, it's just they're they're as it is. They're trying to keep. Uh, you know, they're trying to keep people safe and, and in the bubble and, 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 and moving to and from the hotel and the rink. I mean, they're trying to keep it to uh, to 10 days, and that's even that's one day maybe too many, but that's with 18 teams. So, it, it again, I, I kind of think it might be a one-off, and we'll go back to the page next year, but uh, it remains to be seen. Things, things change every year in the sport of curling, so. Finally, Jason, what is the quality of play going to be like in your mind? Because most of these curlers haven't really been curling. Yeah, I think it's going to be exceptional. I mean, I I just think the Greg Owasco's ice is going to be absolutely perfect. 
it always is. Um, there's, you know, you're talking about some of the seven or eight best of the ten best teams in the world are going to be there. They're going to, they're going to, you know, it's mechanics and it's muscle memory, and they're going to be able to shoot the lights out. I, I really do believe that. I'd be shocked if, I mean, it's going to take some time. I think we're going to maybe and even as Shannon Burchard told me that today. I mean, there's been some teams that have been able to throw. There's some teams that haven't. And I think if you're going out there in your first draw expecting perfection, you're going to be, you know, sadly mistaken and, and, and really be disappointed in yourself. It's going to take a while. But I think once, you know, we get into when they're the second or third time on the ice, I think they're all going to be settled into fine form. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited to see what the, the week uh, brings. Um, there's three draws a day, as, as always. So we're going to have lots of curling on TSN, and you and I are going to be busy this week. Well, Jason, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know you are as well. Looking forward to the day that uh, we can try out the karaoke again someday down the line. <laughs> Appreciate it, and uh, th- uh, have a good weekend. Stay safe. Yeah, yeah listen, you call me anytime. And just one point I was going to make, I just it, 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 I was reminded just as we're on the phone here that it was 1996 when I reported curling for CGOB, 25 years ago from Thunder wow. Bay. So that's uh, that's a little bit of an anniversary for me and you. I was four. <laughs> I was only eight. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Jason, thanks. Take care. It was 20 years ago today that Dale Earnhardt passed away after a crash in the final lap in the home stretch of the Daytona 500. It was a day that changed auto racing forever. It changed the course of safety in auto racing. And one of the most popular drivers ever. Uh, passing away had a, a like lasting impact on the popularity of NASCAR and to talk more about this and where we've gone since that fateful day we are joined by the general manager of the Red River Speedway Blair Bodley Blair thanks for joining us tonight well thanks for having me on appreciate it what were you doing what were you doing on the date of February 18th 2001 um I was actually watching the uh, I was actually watching that race and you know when you when you go back in time, uh, you know when you when I got the call today, asking if I could come on tonight, I went back and I started replaying everything in my uh, in my mind. And when you take a look at that accident, and I don't know if you saw it, when you took a look at the accident and the way that it happened, um, you just walked away thinking, ah, oh, that's normal. Like that shouldn't have any lasting impact. And then to find out later that he passed away in that accident was. Uh, for me, it was it was it was mind-boggling. It's just something that I still to this day can't believe. I did not see it at the time. I remember Greg Moore's crash, though, and that was something that was just horrific. That but, was brutal. Uh, the the Earnhardt crash, yeah. I, like when I I watched it back uh, a few years ago for the probably one of the first times. I, just, I knew he died in the Daytona 500, but I don't think I'd ever watched it. And then when I saw it, I thought, Oh wait, that's it. And then I went back and watched it again today, but just the this he you know he goes head on going very fast into the wall, the the way that the cars were built then and the way the walls were, that proved to be a, a terrible combination for Dale and it prompted a lot of change, did it not, for safety reasons? Yeah, it did. You know, and and it, and a lot of it had to do with the safety restraints and and helmets and everything that were involved in that. Um, you know, it's easy to look back now and say that that should have never, that should have never happened. But like anything, right? Once you, once there is an issue, then you start delving into the problem, and then, you know, there's there's changes made, and it's always, um, you know, it's always an ongoing, 
ongoing process and you see accidents now where these guys shouldn't walk away and they and they do um which is just a testament to you know the technology that they're putting into these uh into this equipment and the uh, how much money they're actually spending even in the aerodynamics in the car to keep them from flipping over but it uh you look back at that day and for me that was the day that I really started paying attention at everything uh, on the safety aspects that were, were going on, and they've just huge, huge strides in uh, in that area. And not just in NASCAR, but Formula One and in all forms of racing. What kind of impact did Dale's death have on the popularity of NASCAR? Oh, boy, that's a really, that's a really tough question. And you, uh, I, I hate to say it, and as morbid as it sounds, Anytime an incident happens like that in any sport, it tends to draw uh, it tends to draw attention. NASCAR was really huge at that time, so I can't say it increased its popularity at all. But I know what it did do is that I, it, I know it made people sit up and going like that death should have never happened. We need to do something to to fix this, and I, I know they pulled out no stops trying to figure out what the what that problem was, which served everybody bit later, better down the uh, down the road. Yeah, I know that NASCAR isn't as popular as it was back then, for sure. But as far as auto racing is concerned, it is something that is back up going again. The Daytona 500 this year was run on Sunday, and because of weather, I think it ended after midnight Eastern time, which you know is not what the the sport was hoping for. But what what is the current state of of NASCAR? Do you think, and what can it do to get more eyeballs? Oh, you're 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 asking the wrong guy there because I don't know what the answer to their okay. uh, to the problem is. They um, everybody has their own opinion. Um, for me personally, um, I don't like the formats that they've gone to. You know, with that the the playoff series, and I think a lot of people miss just like flat out racing to the end. I think it's very confusing to some people. So I think we, if you're trying to attract the casual observer, I think the format that they has might be a little uh might be a little off um but there i mean times are changing and i think everybody was sort of suffering there for a little bit the the good thing is is that even though that nascar people seem to be going back to grassroots so if the popularity in nascar is dying the grassroots racing seems to be taking uh taking hold and i i don't know whether it's because people don't like the way that maybe nascar sort of fabricating a championship where if you go back to grassroots and dirt track racing, I mean, that's a, it's every man for himself, and that sort of seems to be where the uh, all the attention's going and where all the excitement is. Back to Dale again about his life. How great a racer was Dale Earnhardt? Oh, my God. Like, I, it, it, for me, between Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt, they're both on the same uh, on the same pedestal. That man broke... He broke all kinds of barriers, and he was totally, I mean, he wasn't called the intimidator for nothing. I mean, there was a guy who did not care what anybody thought about him. He was in that race car, and he was out there to win. Um, And it was in a different era, too. I mean, it was, things were a little more, um, I'll say loose, for lack of a better term. Um, But, I mean, he sure carved his own mark in in the sport, and there'll never be anybody like him. And obviously the legacy of his son as well. Just the to have that kind of popular racing family. Are we going to see anything like that again? That's always a tough one because every time you say you'll never see it again, something else always seems to to pop up. Um, you certainly hope 
that that does because that that in itself brings attention to the sport, and I think the sport sort of misses that a little bit. But whether that's going to happen again or not, I think it just gets tougher and tougher. Is the uh, it, it racing so expensive uh, right now to get into? So to, to have a sport like that where it, it's in the family, I'm I'm not sure if you're going to see that that whole Earnhardt dynasty show up again. Let's talk about the Red River Speedway while I have you on. Uh, it's February. I don't know what normally would be your your February to do list, but how does how do things look for 2021? Um, you know what? We're pretty happy with the way things look. We got a late start last year. I think we started racing in uh, in July, but once we we were prepared for it. So once the uh, Manitoba government gave us the go ahead, it was just. I mean, we just stepped right into it, and we we got about half of our our race season in. We were restricted on the, the amount of people that we could let into the venue. Um, but you know what? People are just so starved for outdoor, uh, not just outdoor activities, but for any sporting activity. Um, so we had a really good, I'll say a really good season, obviously not as good if there were no restrictions, but it gave the guys that spend all the, uh, and girls that spend all the money on their race cars, a chance to, to get out, use their equipment. Uh, we're able to entertain people. And I think what, going back into this season, I mean, obviously nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, the way we're preparing for it now when we've already started is that we'll step into where we're anticipating that we're going to start with the same restrictions that we were left with last year, um, which will make it easier because in a situation like we were in, and it's not just us, I mean, it's everybody, we all saw this for the first time. So there was a lot of hard work and blood, sweat, and tears that went into every event simply because you were doing something that is wasn't normal. Now that end of it, we've got figured out. So when we start this race season, it's not like we're having to reinvent the wheel. We're just stepping right back into a program that we just stepped out of. Um, and we're really looking forward to a hopefully a strong summer. And as you see the numbers go down and the people in Manitoba are doing such a great job of trying to get this under control, Hopefully the restrictions will uh, they'll just keep lifting them, and by the end of summer, maybe we'll be uh, right back up at full steam again. So in the end, then, uh, last year, would you describe last year as a success given all the challenges you had to face? Absolutely. I would classify it as an unequivocal success because the uh, with all the challenges that we looked at when we stepped into it, I mean, they were pretty pretty daunting, but when you saw at the end of the day what the end result was, even financially, you know, if, if the numbers weren't there, um, just to be able to pull everything together and see the smile on people's faces at the end of the year, uh, it, it made all the hard work worthwhile. Well, Blair, appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on, and best of luck with everything here in 2021. Well, thanks very much, and thanks for having us on the air, and uh, you guys are doing a great job. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect. But-